0: If somebody had asked me five years ago, where do you see yourself in five years time, I could not have ever predicted I would be sat here today teaching at one of the biggest photography events in the world, writing for their magazine, writing a book for a for a renowned publisher. I couldn't I couldn't have predicted that. I couldn't have said that's what I'll be doing in five years.
1: Welcome to the Passion Behind the Arts show. It's all about diving in with individuals to learn the story behind their passion. It's your host, Daryl Pena. It's another week, another amazing guest, and another opportunity for me to bring you value through someone else's story. So without further ado, Let's jump into this week's episode Well I am excited to have David Clayton on the Passion Band art show coming to me from the UK David welcome to the show man
0: Oh thank you for having me and thank you for doing this so early at your end <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's a, it's the struggle of the time difference, man. I know we live in the future.
0: That's the problem. I can tell you, we're on hoverboards here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny.
1: All right, dude. So let's jump right into it. How did David's journey start in the creative world?
0: So, as a child, I'm obviously of an age where I didn't grow into the computer world. For me, computers were what I watched on science fiction. And someone asked me this question the other day. I think it goes back to that thing. I think you're born with a talent, or you're born with an inclination to a certain talent. It's just that the journey you have as a as a young child and your schooling. Um, it's whether they can like shepherd you onto that the path where they can identify you've got a particular skill. So I wasn't particularly good with like woodwork or metalwork. I wasn't that great with maths. Um, but the thing I seemed to be good as a child was drawing. I was always drawing and artistic and making things. And it. And I was talking about uh, influences growing up in that my influences growing up that I really remember are watching old TV shows like Star Trek, um, Time Tunnel. Uh, then we had a bunch of TV shows on in the UK called Thunderbirds, Stingray, Captain Scarlet. And they were all made, they're all like marionette puppets. But all the thing, the thing I remember from all of those was that they all had like color coding. They all had branding. So like on Star Trek, the captain wears gold and there was red and blue and there was insignia and there was color. And when I think back to the toys and the programs that I loved, they all had a really strong design element, which is what I was attracted to. I liked making like when the man from Uncord finished, I'd make my own Sky Pack or you know, or Willy Wonka was another one that really the original Charlie in the chocolate factory was another kind of moment where branding I remember like me and my brother used to re like make new Willy Wonka packaging. So uh, I knew from that yeah that young age that was recreating something design was what I loved doing the most. So when I went to school, I excelled in art. I excelled in technical drawing. Um, Anything that was artistic, I seemed to thrive and be energetic. And anything that was mathematical sucked the soul out of my body. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, and it was one thing that my parents did nurture. They did always make, you know, coloring books available and pens and crayons and pencils and you know like i say i was born in 1965 so even by the time i was 10 11 going into high school we're still only looking at 1977 mm. 76 77 by by the time i left school it was 1982 i was 16 years old i still didn't have computers in my life i i, I hadn't i hadn't thought about going to college or university to to excel at this it was and it was a, a lazy decision on my part. Mm. So I'm it's like it's like um, photographers who started out with film. And then obviously, we got digital photography and a lot of designers talk about, they feel they're better photographers because they learnt using film. Mm. Um, I I feel I had a good start in design because I had to use my imagination and physical tools. To, to make the things, you know, lecture set, I love used to love lecture set, mm. um, like the uh, the dry transfer, um, you know, always had a glue stick was my mum used to have, I don't know if you had them over there, but you used to get a catalogue that was delivered that you could go through and kind of buy a TV and then somebody would turn up every week and you would pay weekly for it. Right. Um, and I used to cut all the letter lettering out and I used to cut all the pictures out and make my own catalogs and wow. make my own little booklets, like a little toy booklet for my brother and stuff like that. So I, I love the fact that I had a tactile beginning mm. because, you know, when I come into the second half of my life, when computers come along, you know, that all changed massively.
1: Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Because it's always, you know... <clears throat> The perspective of the before and after, you know, it's always interesting how, you know, those who had um, the opportunity to see the thing before it came about, there's always this, for lack of a better word, this tug and war with that. Yeah. There's always that push and pull with that in regards to stuff like this, like even now with the phones all of us who knew about knew when there was no phone um <laughs> still can't get over that a phone is no longer what
0: it initially started out to I be I know I remember finding I my 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 bedroom I used to collect postcards of film posters and uh and post postcards and posters of film posters and gigs and concerts and bands and my whole wall um in my bedroom i had one whole wall that was completely covered in postcards tickets posters album covers anything that i loved the look of that was my wall underneath it was a wooden cabinet and on there was a portable television a record player a tape recorder all of my vinyl albums and singles and then i had a stack of magazines that were like my music magazines and i found this photograph of my wall and i showed the kids and i said do you realize now that everything physically that you could see that was in my bedroom all of that goes on my phone all of those images fit on my phone all that music fits on my phone i can watch tv on my phone everything that i had as a 15 16 year old in that room I can now walk around in like seven inches of, of, of rectangle. And it's crazy to think that, you know, people, kids born now, um, find that really hard to believe. Like, like me trying to imagine everyone round went round in a horse and car. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's it, imagine if we knew then, what we know now about the things around us on the day-to-day that we take for granted, and as designers, we have not only we not only have the tools available to us, but we have the communication methods, we have platforms to share and get feedback. You know, and you think now, someone said, if you would you go and eat your dinner, get your camera out, take a photograph of it, take the roll of film to the local chemist or Walgreens get all the pictures printed and then put them all in an envelope and send them to 20 of your friends to show them what you have for dinner. It would be insane, but we do it with Instagram. So the that
1: fact is, that
0: we now, we get to share our life. So back in the day, everything took its time. You know, when you look back to the designers that I admire and follow, that they all created this stuff physically. It had to be, you know, the first time you could look at a billboard and go, wow, was when that billboard was printed and installed and you saw it and the the most you could say, wow, was to the person next to you. You couldn't stop and take a picture and post it to a thousand people and go, oh, the new logo for GAP sucks. Or, or, you know, that back then everything was appreciated because it had time to breathe, it had time to be absorbed. And if you look at a lot of companies now, a lot of them are going back to the simplistic branding from the past we've got a couple of businesses in the uk that have actually gone back to their logos from the from the 60s 70s because it was a time where the brand was appreciated more whereas today we don't let any we don't give anything time to breathe anymore it all has to be instant and changing every moment that i think we as a generation um, whether you be 20, 30, 40, 50, regardless of our age, we're in a world where this stuff exists like it does. And it's it's not until you stop and see a traditional sign painter who still paints or, you know, a lettering artist that still does it with chalk and a board that you, you kind of see this artwork and appreciate the art that goes into it and the time that goes into it. That... I like to encourage people to still draw physically draw to still go and learn a a Tactile art to appreciate the time that people spend on their art Uh, Because we are instant it is all like an instant design world now Um, And the fact that we could you know, you've got like people like Rob Zilla, uh, Rob Jenner who can create amazing artwork on an iPad we've got Dan Mumford who creates amazing art on a uh, Cintiq? Uh, there's a guy called Kyle Lambert who did the Stranger Things artwork, right. um, and the Morgan Freeman finger sketch. If you go, mm-hmm. if you're listening to the podcast, Google, it, go on YouTube and type in Morgan Freeman iPad, and you'll see it. Kyle does all his artwork on an iPad now. And that when you look back to the traditional movie poster artists like ET and um, back to the the famous back to the future one, which was done by Drew Struzan, you know, he hand painted all that stuff. He wasn't able to go back and undo and, you know, command Z, command Z, command Z. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas Kyle is, um, uh, and to some extent, I guess, Paul Shipper as well is another good poster artist who does it um, traditional way and digital way is... When you watch these guys creating this equally good artwork on a different medium, it, it's just it's the growth. It's the growth that we go through, um, you know. And when we go back ten years, twenty years, thirty years, how techno, how technology has changed for us. That's I think the, some, it's true. Yeah, some I think some of it. The danger is now, particularly with <clears throat> software, is when I first got introduced to software and like my first, the first time I saw a Mac, the first time I used Quark Express, the first time I used Paint Shop Pro, which was my introductory editing software. Um, that back then you worked within the limits that the software had or the, the the power of the computer that you like. the first computer I had, I think, had like two meg memory. It was, you know, my digital watch has got <laughs> more power. Um, but you learn to design within the constraints of the medium uh, of the tools. Whereas now, when you look at things like Adobe Sensei, uh, Adobe Max, and they're saying you could almost say to Photoshop, I need a science fiction poster with um, a a one male and one female. And it'll almost be a point where it will go off to Adobe Stock and pull in the resources, it could make it for you. And a lot of the software, I think the danger is now with some designers, now is their designs are guided by what the software is giving them rather than them being creative from their own mind. So you remember the first time you got Microsoft Word and everyone used Word Art and drop shadows and extruded and every color under the sun. We used it because it was available. And then, you know, then first time you get all the bevel and emboss in photoshop everything was beveled and embossed and drop shadowed it's because we use the tool that's instantly given to us rather than think how can i like think outside that and create something different just my opinion
1: (laughs) Mm, that's it's interesting it's interesting just the um the dynamics of you know of these different mediums and how they translated back then
0: to now yeah letterpress I can see those posters behind you you know you look at things like letterpress as well and um, I was watching the thing a documentary with Paula Scher at Pentagram and she was talking about how she built design systems rather than just a logo it was just you had to create a design system and it had to work in all these places and it had to work in all these mediums and now she has to include digital as one of those mediums but when you look at like hatch, hatch show print mm-hmm. the old people who make the, the johnny cash posters i i would love to visit there it's all done by hand it's all proper old wood printing but now you can go to retro supply and dustin lee sells a font pack and a texture pack that helps you recreate that very look mm-hmm. but in photoshop and illustrator that's not wrong there's nothing wrong with that right because the, the end product is the visual part right. True. No one cares. No one cares how, how, how they cooked your made, dinner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone said the other day they don't, they don't want to see how the sausage is made. They just want to eat it. <laughs> yeah, that's the result, really. Exactly. So there's no wrong. There's no wrong way of how how you're creative, um, because we all come at it from different approaches. It's ultimately I've always said, like with photographers, Nobody cares what camera you had or what memory card you used or what software you had. All that matters is, is that image in the magazine or on the billboard doing its job? Right. right. So it's doing its job. Nobody asks what camera you use. Nobody cares what software you used. Mm-hmm. So getting to the, the end result is what we should be worried about, not the whole sweating over the process of it because you know we all approach process from a different way you know you and i could create the same thing using different tools using different methods um but ultimately you know do we produce good work are we pleased with the work we we create are we trying to be original or are we too heavily influenced by other designers you know it's, it's quite funny as um Aaron Draplin I'm a big fan of Aaron Draplin's work and the other day I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw a piece of artwork come up and I thought oh I wonder what Aaron's has been up to it wasn't him it was somebody else but the artwork was so close to what to Aaron's style that as I started to look through the guy's feed it was like wow this this guy's obviously heavily heavily influenced by Aaron Draplin and Aaron obviously has classes showing you how he designs, but a very large body of this work was very wow. This is the same font Aaron uses. These are the same thick lines, the same styles and colours. And I've kind of felt sorry for the person because I thought you're very good. It's like a cover band um, oh. where you get, you know, like. John Jovi rather than Bon Jovi. It's yeah, you know, you know, the words, you know, the songs, you can get up and dress like him and perform, but that's all you are as a cover band. Mm. So you're not, you're influenced, but you're not necessarily being original mm. and you can, you can take, um, I think it's Austin Kleon's book, still like an artist, um, is you should copy to, For Ian Barnard said this, you should copy to learn, not copy to earn. Right. Um, and that's be influenced try and copy someone you admire to see like reverse engineer how they maybe create something but don't necessarily take all of that to make your own thing practice because you find you your own style will come out like my style is i love retro i love and i love that because i'm old i am retro (laughs) i i love that i love that old simplistic um, simple design look. I love the retro feel and look and, and those kind of textures and fonts. So maybe when I design, I'm I'm more influenced by that style than I am by gradients and you know curved edges everywhere. Right. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily look to go out and absolutely be the design cover band. I'd wanna like I'm influenced by Aaron. I'm influenced by um, Ian Barnard's lettering. There's loads of designers who I really admire. Scott Fuller you know, is another guy that's got a really good aesthetic. I like elements of it, and sometimes I'll try and create something based on what I've seen, but I would never get so close that I would put it up there and think, wow, if that person saw this, they'd instantly think I copied them. Mm -hmm. So so it's a fine balance. It's it's a fine balance. It's a fine line. It's
1: a fine line. So you left
0: school... Did you end up going to to uni? No. For design? No, I left, I finished my last exam. Um, I was 16 and I remember, even now I can remember walking out the school gates thinking that's it, I'm done with school. I could have stayed on at school for two more years, but bizarrely I wasn't, I had a great art teacher, but I was never encouraged I never have I've not got one of those teachers where people go, Oh yeah, I remember Mr. Bell from such and such a school. He was my biggest inspiration. I never had a teacher make me like go, Dave, you should pursue this. You should go to college or university. You should do these things. I just remember walking out of school thinking, right, I need a job, I need money, I want to buy a bicycle, I want to go and hang out with my mates. Um, my dad owned an engineering company. He said that we've got a lad who works with us. He keeps getting into trouble and he's not turning up for work. Could you just come in and help like do some sweeping up and cleaning and whatever? And we'll maybe we'll let you design some bits like me- mechanical pieces for the machines just to practice your technical drawing. Uh, and I did it. I joined him and I was there for nine years. And I I didn't I regret not going to college or university to learn the one thing I was good at at an age when it would have been the best time for me to do it. So looking back, that's probably one of the things I should have had the confidence in myself to to understand that I needed to do that rather than just go down the route of I need money. I want, you know, I want to be able to go out and buy records and go up to London and watch gigs and I, sh- I should have had the focus and the the mind to think, God, I'm good at one thing, it's this. I should get I should get better at it.
1: So how did so how did you go from being at your father's company for nine years to now being in the design world?
0: Uh. So design never went away. So even while I was working with my dad, I learned electrical engineering and mechanical engineering. And there's quite a heavy design influence in that because we were we were making machines and I had to design parts of those machines. I had to do the wiring of them. So I wish I'd taken a photograph of my old, the panels I used to make because they were all color-coded, that every single one of them looked the same. They were all like symmetrical and they were pieces of art in themselves so in every aspect of the of the job there was there was always a design element there i used to try and sketch parts for machines then when i left him i went and worked for a print company and that was probably the first introduction into that world of um we used to do printing presses and and the, the first color photocopiers that was where I saw my first Apple Mac. That was where I first got to see Quark Express. That's where I got my first color computer. Mm. And it was in that job that I was there for five years that I actually got an introduc- introduction to being able to design using computers or, or some element of design. So I used to make warranty forms and returns forms and requisition forms in quark express mm-hmm. i used to get told off a lot because that wasn't my job <laughs> but <laughs> but i had access to a computer i had access to the software and that was the thing that was distracting me and it was like uh jessica hish says is that what you do while procrastinating is really what you should be your day job doing. right and, and that's what i was doing i was finding myself always sloping off and trying to create design work. So like desktop publishing was that introduction to me. But when I left there, I went straight back into, uh, sales again and I went and worked for a quarry company, um, producing machinery for, uh, crushing rock in quarries. And I kind of, although I have veered away from that little introduction to the design print industry, um, What I learned from going into that role was uh, it was great experience doing sales. It was great experience doing administration because I got to work with technical drawings for for the parts for the machines. I got to understand what goes on behind the, the design of parts. So I learned a lot there and then one day it just i got to a point where you know i've done this sales thing i've done this admin thing this isn't my calling That what i want to do is i don't want to sell the parts i want to sell the company that sells the parts i want to get into marketing that's where my foot in the door is going to get me into this world where i can use my talents so i left that company and joined a, a one of their competitors and became their marketing manager, which by then I was using the Adobe products. I was pretty good on Dreamweaver. I built their website. I, I read, I designed them new brochures, flyers, um, documentation for all the machinery and, um, and the parts. Mm. And we had like new, new paperwork went out with the parts that was branded. I I helped with their new rebrand that that was then Right, this is where, this is where I, f- I find my happy place is in a marketing department. Mm. I don't want to be a freelance designer. But if, you, if you're a designer and you can get a job in a marketing department or, a, or some kind of marketing role, you are going to learn so many more valuable things around design because you understand then... I'm not just, just going to sit at home, fire up the computer and create a cool logo because that's not the end of it. In, for, for all designers, you really should learn marketing because you should be knowing where that logo is being used, how it's being used, why it's being used, what else is it going to go on? Is it going to go in printed stationery? Is it going to go on flyers? Is it going to go in emails? How do you do email marketing? How do you uh, – what do you have to consider in the content that you're creating? How is it being delivered Will it be a PDF? Will it be interactive? So in that marketing role, I learned all of those disciplines to help assist what I was designing for rather than designing for the sake of it. Mm. So whilst I call myself a graphic designer, I'm actually, a, I, I think of myself as a marketing designer in that I don't just want to design that great, awesome, one-off, mathematically, Awesome looking logo. I want to be. I want to deliver more around that. Mm. So, a class that I'm teaching next month in Holland is called Why Graph Why a photographer should be friends with a graphic designer because it's a photography event. And my point is, be a friend with a marketer. Be a friend with a photographer. Understand where each other's work is going so as a designer I need photography as a photographer your photographs are going to be used in marketing materials so don't kind of just do the one job and that's the last you see of it Um, because what happened with the conversation with a photographer friend of mine is as a lot of photographers do sadly is they undersell themselves and as designers we know how often do we get asked to do stuff for free can you just—the worst three words you ever want to hear from anybody. <laughs> can you? Could you just? Can you just? And um, you can knock it up quickly. Yeah, I can knock it up quickly because I've spent twenty-five years learning, learning it, to be right. able to look it up quickly. So I said to him, "Oh, what did you get up to? What you've been up to recently?" And he said, "Oh, I did. Um, I did a shoot at a bakery, a local bakery." And they wanted that they've just started up and they had their staff in there and they had all their little cupcakes and things and everything was all shiny and polished. So he said, I went down there for the day. I shot all the cakes. I shot the staff working, the coffee machine, um, a couple of customers sat at tables. Um, and I said, oh, that was really cool. It must take them quite a while to set it up. He said, yeah, there, there weren't that many customers, so I had the room to do it. What did you earn from that? He said, well, I only got £100, like $120 for the whole day doing that i went okay so and what are you gonna do next what was the agreement well they get all the pictures on a disc i give them the the shoot like the best i don't know 100 photos from the shoot for them um and that's it And, and i said i just looked him in the eyes and said um like dude where's my car and then and then it's what, what next? What, where's your part in this now? You've, you've taken the photographs. You've made $120. You've handed over a disc. What do you think they're going to do with that disc? They're going to now get someone to design their posters and their menus and their brochures and their uh, special offer signs in the doorway. You have now got no part to play in that, but you could have done because if you teamed up with a graphic designer and approached that job with a full service... OK, well, wh- why do you need the pictures of the cakes? Where are they going? Well, they're going to go on our menu and they're going to go on our price list. That will make you shoot differently because the designer will tell you what he needs. And you as the photographer are going to be able to deliver that. And you're going to understand what the graphic designer wants. So working as a team, you've now taken control of that whole job and the process. you can You can make more money from it. But if you just go into the bakery and go, I'll make you a cool logo of a cupcake with your initials on, and then you, there's a small amount of money and walk out the door. That's the thing I think some of the designers miss is that was only part one of that job. Why, why are you no longer part of the process of where, of the path that logo is going to like start? You've delivered it. It's going to go off on a journey. It's going to go and be a printer and a sign maker Um, there may be banners made for the roadside there could be signage for the shop why are you not part of that process why are you why are you like delivering that little package and walking away from it so I always try and encourage people uh, young designers or, or anybody in photography and design is Don't be blinkered 20,000 followers on Instagram. You still have to do some of the work and you still have to show the person why they should spend their money with you. It's not going to be because you've got 20,000 followers. It's because you understand what the customer needs and the start and end of, of where that marketing stroke branding stroke logo stroke photography project is going to be. And that's something I learned from being in that marketing role is the end to end process. What are we designing for? How's it being used? What message is it going to give? So, and, and it was after, after that, I then got a job in a creative agency. When I left there, I actually joined a creative agency and spent nine months and I learned a ton. That really gave me the the design discipline. I learned more about graphic design in that role, but that, that was. Um, That was only, I only joined a design agency at the age of 38, 39. It was a long time before I actually joined my first official as a role as a graphic designer in a graphic design agency was 2000 and... Cracky, long time ago. 2005 2006 it was around then yeah
1: so what's 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 your what are you up to now what are you doing now because I know you said you had to go teach at um train at somewhere what are you up to now
0: yeah so now I I work for a company called Astute Graphics and I'm their training manager and it's a full-time role um, I actually met them at Adobe Max, and we got talking about the industry and my connections, and Nick, the owner, identified me as having a good background and good connections, and I'd be useful for the company because it's we make plugins for Adobe Illustrator. Um, we've got some great designers. We've got Von Glitschke, Aaron Draplin, Dan Stiles, DKNG. We've got customers like Adidas, Nike, DreamWorks, Pixar, Disney, Google. Um, So my role now in my full time job is I create training materials and promotional materials and I'm a community manager for them. And I reach out to designers, I reach out to Illustrator users to identify the problems they have because Astute create plugins that are for professionals. So we have tools that make Illustrator a lot easier to use. Aside of that... Um I teach uh I was connected to Kelby One, which was used to be the NAPP. So I work with Scott Kelby, for Scott Kelby. I teach at Photoshop World. I write for their magazine every month. I've created video classes on graphic design and InDesign and Photoshop for them. Um I help run a stage. This is my fifth year doing it at the Photography Show, which is a big photography conference in the UK. Um, which I love because I have no desire to buy any photo gear, so I'm not distracted by it. But I get to meet lots of photographers, and I get to talk to them about their branding. And sometimes I used to do more freelance work, less so since I've been at Astute. I don't really do any day-to-day client graphic design work. Um, But I do design book covers for Rocky Nook Publishing. Um, So I've done four for them now, two of them which are number one in their category in digital design. Uh, I'm now writing my first book for Rocky Nook for Scott Kelby um, called, how do I do that in InDesign? So that will be out in June um, and it will be launched at Photoshop world where I'll be teaching a class called, how do I do that in InDesign to help promote the book? Um, so teaching, I have found teaching as I've got older to, to be more enjoyable than doing so I, I still love designing you know i've got the full adobe creative suite i i, I love in design i love photoshop i love illustrator i do still like designing material and, and practicing things but i found now that i'm of an age where more people ask me how do you do that or why do you do that i found the teaching side of it the writing articles explaining a process or Or talking to a room full of people, explaining to them, you know, things. There's a class I do, how to get inspired by graphic design. And one of the examples I give is if you go into, I don't know, KFC or McDonald's and you buy your food and you get a tray. And on the tray, there's a piece of A3 paper that's maybe got an advert for the toy that's being given away or the promotion, frost promotion with a film. And you go and sit down. And I said, there's somebody out in this world that that's their artwork. They got the job to design that and they go cool. You know, look, I did the Angry Birds movie promotion for McDonald's. That's my artwork. Turn that sheet over and on the back of it is a a spreadsheet of all the calories and ingredients of the food. And I said, and somebody also got paid to make that. It's not the, it's not the sexy part of the design, but that's equally if not more important because it's a necessity that the company needs to have. And someone's job was to put that together in InDesign. They quite possibly could have gotten paid more than the person who designed the front. But both elements of that are designed. So when you go out and look at things that you use day to day, and the clothes that you pick, the signs that you read, the books that you look at, just stop for a minute and think why it made you stop in your tracks. Why, what attracted you to that? Was it the color? Was it the font? Was it the, the way it's laid out? It's, you know, that that book was laid out in InDesign. You know, we just take a book off the shelf and go, Oh wow, cool graphics inside. But like Aaron Draplin's book, you open it up, he laid all of that out in InDesign himself. So for me, whilst Aaron's book is a great book about design, I love it because it's a well-designed book that was created in InDesign, And so the teaching side of it, the passing on of, you know, I'm not the Oracle of, of all design. I'm not the, the person who gets to say I've not won awards. I'm not, you know, I've not got a full line merch table at events, but I like to think the stuff I have learned is enough to give people a chance to think differently and then the different thought process they'll maybe go off and find someone that resonates with them that takes them on the next step of the board game you know going we go along a few steps we hit a setback we have to go back three spaces then we roll the dice and we keep going forward and i think that's how you are as a designer you you have a path you'll find something a bonus round or you know you'll i i've discovered so many designers that i had hadn't really given much thought to through aaron draplin's bookshelf uh, the thing i say in my class it, it, the inspired one is the next time you see a designer on a blog or a video and they've got a bookshelf behind them and it's in focus take a screenshot open it up in photoshop and look at the books that that designer buys because they're the books that inspired him or her and then I make a list, and then I go through and I look online in Amazon Marketplace and anywhere, and I started finding designers like Herb Lubalin. Um, I just I didn't really know much about House Industries, um, Saul Bass. I hadn't really looked much of Saul Bass's artwork, and I started seeing these books about from these designers that I'd never heard of, that I'd never seen. And built my own library, and and here is a it's a bookshelf that's got 350 graphic design books in it, but of of not necessarily graphic design books, but there's books about beer labels and movie posters and fanzines and sporting events, um, Olympics, f- cereal boxes. You know, I've I've through looking at people's bookshelves, I've discovered these books, and I find them really inspiring. So if I'm thinking, oh, typography, I can go straight to the typography section and pull out a Louise Philly book or Jessica Hish book, or then I might pull out a designer from the 1950s or Paul Rand. So it's a really good tip for design is look at the books that the graphic designer has on their bookshelf and then plagiarise it. <laughs> I, I, wrote a blog, I wrote a blog post once it's called uh, I'm a book thief and I'm not ashamed to say it because it's a good way of getting inspired. True.
1: Yeah, it is. It is very so, very much so. So, what would you say was the hardest struggle you had to overcome through your journey?
0: Confidence. Mm. Definitely, definitely confidence. I I was speaking to Diane Gibbs last night, and she asked a similar question of me, and I said, I was sh- I was very short as a child. Um, I had bright ginger hair, and I was quite chubby as a kid. I wasn't a slim kid. I, I mean, looking back, I wasn't as fat as I felt. Right. But at the time, confidence wise, a lot of my relations would always comment on my weight and my hair color. Mm. So I, you know, from a very young age, whilst I had a creative streak, I massively lacked in confidence because Mm. of that thing where people identify you by the first thing that they see. And if you're a chubby kid, and you got ginger hair, you quickly no one sees anything other than those two things. So you then you massively lacking confidence. So for me, the confidence was a block because I didn't have the confidence to put myself through college. I didn't think I was good enough. I was kind of distracted by my own doubts, so to speak. So not not from a like a mental health point. It, it never, I never got to a point where it became an issue. But I was, I'm just very aware of as a young kid, it, you know, going through my early years into my teens, that confidence wasn't something that played a part in my life, I very much was a blend into the background. And I had some great experiences as a kid, don't get me wrong, I had some, I had a brother who is 11 years older who came from a design and music background and he, he had a rock band and I used to you know, go and watch him play and meet, meet people from the music industry. Um, it was good being around grown ups because they never treated me like that. It was only when I was around my peers that you get that, the, the, the knockbacks, the, the insults, which is what, what generally happens at school. So yeah, that was my, and it's still a bit of a struggle now because even from a confidence point of view i had an accident 14 years ago playing soccer and uh it's actually been behaving itself today but my left eye flickers and closes quite a lot involuntary mm. which when you're standing on stage and someone's watching you i know people see it they're very polite and go i never noticed it but it's like i look like a pirate <laughs> <laughs> and my eye, my left eye is closed and i can't even open it for for 20 seconds mm. So when you're getting up on stage and now, you know, now at the age of 50, 50 to 53 was when I first did my public speaking at Photoshop World and teaching live. The first thing I say to people is I tell them about my eye because the confidence part of me kicks in and it's like, are they listening to me anymore? Are they seeing the one thing? Are they are they seeing the ginger hair? Are they seeing the chubby kid? Are they seeing the one eyed man? So. Confidence affects us all in different ways. That's my thing. It's not life-threatening. Um, you know, binging your head isn't life-threatening. But now I'm great, it It's gone. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you, um, It's harder now. I feel sorry for a lot of people I deal with because obviously the whole issue of mental health is at the forefront. And there's a lot of people who struggle h- harder and fall harder. Um, and, and sadly, it's... It's, there's a lot of it in graphic design and I and I don't know whether how much of that is the world that we live in the is the expectation of us as a freelancer too hard so do we suffer from quick failure um, because we're not getting quick success so you know, are, are you then thinking, am I good enough? Do people care about me? Why is nobody, you know, why is my stuff not being liked? Why is nobody commented on my, so I I think, like I said earlier, we put ourselves maybe under too much pressure to be the end result so quickly. Mm. You know, the the, the kid who's, who's copying Aaron Draplin, he's never going to be Aaron Draplin. There, there is only one Aaron Draplin. There is only one Jessica Hish. There is only one Stefan Sagmeister, but it doesn't mean you can't be great in your field. But if we put ourselves under the pressure to be exactly like the thing we're drawn to, we're setting ourselves out for failure from from the beginning. And where actually have a lot of successes, our confidence gets knocked, and then we become self doubters, and then we worry, and then we have to seek the you know you're if you're always seeking approval from everyone and it's not there it it can be quite distracting and i try and instill that in my kids you know my my youngest she's going to be a graphic designer she's got that in her already she uses illustrator at the age of eight um she in fact she's about to do a linda class this weekend a big be, illustrator beginners class on linda.com by my friend tony harmer because she loves illustrator so much now i'm not going to instilling her the the world of graphic design i'm just going to encourage her to enjoy the art that she creates and my ipad's got procreate on and i opened it up to show a girl at work yesterday and i realized there like 90 of the images on my in my procreate are my daughters she's drawing superheroes and flowers and patterns and it's cool i want her i want her to have a good start in this world because she's nine now where's technology going to be in 10 years? Right. That's the frightening thing. You know, kids are learning on iPads and iPhones now, but where's te- where was our technology 10 years ago? YouTube was infancy. The iPhone was barely anything. So what's she going to have when she's 19, when she leaves college, university, and goes out and gets a job? What's, what's that world for her going to be like in graphic design? i won't care i'll be 63 i'll be nearly retirement age <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, got, you need to go and earn money now to look after your mum and dad <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean
1: it's interesting it's interesting indeed so as you talk about your daughter like who are those people that david draws support from draws energy from who, who's who's in david's circle um so
0: i've got a close group of friends um my best friend who I do our podcast with I met 8 years ago Glenn Dewis he's a photographer but we we bounce off each other really well um then uh I've got a friend Aaron Blaze who's an ex Disney animator who I met at an event and he's he's got a completely different set of skills to me but he's quite inspiring He's really got a good work ethic. Um, So I speak to him. I've got another friend who's a photographer that I can bounce ideas off. Um, Sadly, I lost my dad last year. Um, He was always, you know, proud of everything his three boys did. Um, So, you know, my parents were were amazing. Um, My my, my mum still is and I've got two good brothers. Then in the industry, like where I work, my boss Nick um, has taught me so much. Then there's people like Aaron, there's the guys I've met at Creative South. Um, f- personally, man to man, like man to man, man to woman, who I phys- people I physically see, it's quite a small circle. But I'm very kind of helped and, and kept buoyant by my friends and peers that I've met, like following yourself, following Diane. Dustin Lee is someone who I, I really get a lot of inspiration from I, I love what he's done built in his business and his background. And he's got kids. So I draw inspiration from the people I've resonated with who have similar things, instances to me, like they're family people, or, or they've, um, or they share their work in a good way. They, they not only share what they do. They share how they do it. So I do find uh, that kind of, the community that we're in is really good. I love the community a lot, and you know, we were at Creative South together, and we were on that bridge party, and just the vibe. Knowing that I could call, I could call any one of those guys and talk to them about design for half an hour just to give me a a lift or a different aspect, a different view on something that I'm thinking or working on, and then when I really want to. Throw myself down a rabbit hole of um not inspiration, but I just I'm compelled by Casey Neistat, and not in a way that he impart. Like Gary V does nothing for me. I I have tried. I do not get it. I don't. I do not get how a, a millionaire who can tell you it's not about the money, it's about the fun, and then show show himself on video taking a call asking him to fly somewhere first class to do an hour's talk for 130 grand and he's like, oh, I can turn this down. I don't need it. How how does that relate to me? I I I can't I I get nothing. I don't understand it. I get why people need that fix of inspiration. The reason I like watching Casey Neistat is not because he particularly imparts any knowledge. I love his work ethic. I love how he delivered, when you watch him and like he walks into his office and starts talking to the camera, and then he goes down the street and he's going somewhere. Look at the filming that he does. So he has to go into the room, set the camera up, walk out of the room, walk back in the room, and act like it's completely natural and talk to the camera. And then when he goes out on his skateboard down the streets of New York to a meeting, he goes to the end of the road, sets up his camera, goes back to the top of the road, rides back down the road to the camera. But he's also got another camera set up that he needs to also get another shot of him coming from a different angle. Then he talks to the camera, break down his day, how he, how he sets his footage up. And you realise how much work he, pro, he puts in to what he delivers creatively. He doesn't just stick a camera up and record one thing. He puts in the time and effort to make sure that you just get, you don't even think about it, you watch him and you won't even think about the cameras he's had to set up and how many times he's had to go up and down that road and still make it look like it's the first time he did it. So I get drawn into the Casey Neistat rabbit hole just purely because of the creativity of how he delivers his content. And how he improves his content, and how he shares his content. So that's the only kind of uh, guru, inspirational guru, whatever they are, that uh, that I actually resonate to. I don't, I don't draw from the Tony Robbins, Gary V. school of thought for inspiration because I don't relate to them.
1: Well, I mean, and every, you know what, everyone. What I've learned is that. Um, people are set up for certain people to, to, to draw from them. Like, you're one per- exactly. you are one know what I mean? I'm going to draw someone else from who you're going to draw. And we may have an overlap, yeah. but there's a chance we may not. I and mean, It's just how it's supposed yeah. to be.
0: Exactly. It's a voice. It's a voice. Uh, it's a voice. It's an opinion. It could just be you both. It The, the spark might be that you're both from the same area or there's this one thing massively in common. You know, I like Aaron Draplin. I know a lot of people don't really care for him about him because they like their hand letterers or they like, jessica hish it doesn't mean that anybody's wrong and and i certainly don't feel that anybody's wrong i think we all come from different backgrounds we're all taught differently we all have different experiences and different people around us that i can totally see why from an inspiration point someone like gary v is brilliant for people rocky i spoke to rocky rock he watches gary v every morning to get himself inspired i get why and i'm not saying that what he does is is wrong in any way because we all do it differently but I think uh depend like the age between me and Rocky, there's twenty five years between us, you know, so my ideas of inspiration will be different to his right. um and i and I'm still discovering people that I still find oh wow, that's really interesting, and they're s a s specialists rather than designers, but they talk about behavior and how to think about problems so yeah i haven't got like a a person that stands beside me that's my kind of cheerleader but i get a lot of in i get a lot of um good thoughts and feelings and aspirations and inspiration from a lot of people i've met in this community
1: so that was a long answer yeah i mean but it's a good answer because there's a lot to draw from it so what is the first hour of david's day like?
0: So if I'm working from home, which I do three days a week, I get up, I do my kids' lunches, um, I make sure they get dressed for school, uh, and my wife gets ready for work, because she works as well, um, get breakfast, get lunches made, then they go out the door, and then the next half hour is, uh, we use Slack at work, so I check my Slack and my email to see any of the designers that I've been connecting to because of the time difference, in some cases, eight hours, I often don't see those responses till the following morning. Then I can't speak, I can't speak again to those people till about four o'clock this afternoon, which is eight o'clock West Coast. So I I go through Slack, I see what everyone's up to. uh, Then I check my emails and just see if there's any designers I have to get back to. Uh then I start looking at we're creating a lot of training content at the moment. So at the moment I'm working with um a guy who used to work for Adobe who did, was doing our training videos for us. So I have to check that the schedule for him's all on point for the day. And then I go about my business. If it's a day I'm in the office, the first hour of my day is getting up very quietly at half past five in the morning, <laughs> making the lunches very quietly, and then I drive an hour and a half to the office. Uh, get to the office about between half seven and eight o'clock and then the similar thing starts I have that first hour of catching up on on communication and then uh, go through the plan for the day so um yeah you have to and and when you work from home the danger is like when you first the first time I remember working from home it's like you sit in your when I say pants I mean underwear but you're sat in your pants and a t-shirt and a coffee and couple of biscuits and you've got like, you know, maybe iTunes and Netflix and you you've got all these distract distractions around you that when I got this job at a stew I had to like set a studio up. I had to have the 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 equipment I need ready. I had to have a plan for the day because you can very easily get distracted. So yeah, that's 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 kind of my everyday at the moment. So
1: what is that thing that David Can't live without. That's not
0: his phone. Uh, My books, Mm. my books, and my Amazon account. (laughs) It because I say I love uh, you know. I've always got, I've always got these field notes kicking about, and they're addictive little things. I can tell you, the first you get your first pack of field notes, you end up down a deep (laughs) dark hole of oh all oh, these different types i can collect these and uh yeah i remember i remember like when i first saw aaron and i first saw he keeps the he's got an orange pack of field notes in his top pocket and i've always had drawing pads and tracing pads and graph paper i've got like pots of pencils and pens and and sharpies Don't, i i can't walk past a pack of sharpies without buying them um they're the things that i like to have around me um so yeah drawing sketching i've I've completely distracted myself then where was i going with this (laughs) what was the question again (laughs) something you can't live without
1: is that your fault. oh yeah hey
0: so yeah so it's uh pens and pencils a drawing pad of some kind and i've always whenever i leave the house i always take at least one book with me um Because then if I've ever got a moment like lunchtime or if I have to get the train to work, I've always got a design book that I can just get an idea from or research someone. Then all the lights can, you know, the batteries can go dead, the electricity can go out, but I can still draw, I can still write and I can still read. So they're they're the things. So that's
1: a good segue in the next question. Book recommendations. Okay, top three, I
0: will give top three. Okay, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go Aaron Draplin. Pretty much everything. Because it's not a book about how to design. It's a book about a designer's journey. And it's a very well laid out very beautifully designed book. It's got his life in there explains his background. I think a lot of designers could learn a lot from you don't just wake up and become someone like aaron you know who's got field notes he's got his merch he's got his online classes his talking gigs um he has to work hard for that and that book really gives you a background of of the life of the, so many designers come from a music background or a skateboarding background that's what i've discovered there's always another creative creative spark there so so I've got a bookshelf, one section of my books here that are my go-to books. My second book is, <clears throat> I'm going to go with, oh, I'm going to go with the Sawbass Bass book. No, that's, that's, it's a good book. It's too obvious. I'll tell you another book I'm going to go for. It's uh, called By the Skin of Our Teeth by Morning Breath Studio. I, I love retro old half-tone kind of art. And I discovered this. Someone posted it on Instagram. It might have been Aaron. And I went and got this book. And every page is gold. Really, it's, it's such a nice book. It's not an obvious choice. Um, And my third tip, other than any of the books I've designed by Glyn Dewis, <laughs> um, I would say a, a book that's got a really good story. If you want to learn something about the background of a design. There's a book called Dorothy and Otis and it's a married couple they met at a design agency back in the 30s, 40s I believe and they got the contract to design the packaging for Wrigley's Chewing Gum when it first launched and subsequently worked for Mr Wrigley and did all the the Chicago Cubs match programs back in the day. And the story is it's a really cool book. I'll um just quickly grab it. It's a true story, yeah. Um not many I in fact I even um I actually bought this book for Aaron. I went to see him um and visit him at his home in October last year and stayed there for a couple of days. And I interviewed him in front of his bookshelf and we talked about his book collection. Cause so I said, you started a ha- a bad habit for me. I, as soon as I saw your bookshelf, you, you don't want to know how much money I've spent on books because of you. And I bought in this book, um, called Dorothy and Otis and it's the pretty much the Wrigley in Chicago Cubs. But the story tells how they started, how they met the agency they worked in, the challenges they had during that era, Wartime came along; they had to design the packaging for Wrigley different because they weren't allowed to use foil wrapper because the metal had to be used for the um, for the for the war effort. Um, it talked about how they designed all the billboard advertising, how the, the arguments they used to have with Mister Wrigley because he had a different opinion to them, and they used to argue with him. It's a fantastic story about a couple that just met. A design agency and it just talks about the design process of all pre-computer it was all like how they created this cool retro design look for one of the world's biggest brands and one of the world's biggest baseball teams and it's a f- i'd recommend this book to everybody it's it's a really really cool book it's about 15 20 on amazon you can find it but um they had to pick three Straight off, I'd I'd say out of the 350 that I could go through, um, that they are good books. John Contino's got a good book out as well. And also, uh, it's not cheap, but look up a company called Unit Editions online. They're a UK company, um, Tony Brook and Sean Hennessy, I think it is, or Adrian. I can't remember their names, unit editions. What they do is they manage to get hold of old old book titles and old standards manuals, and they reprint them. So they did one, Herb Lubalin, who was a great art uh, letterer back in the day. Uh, They just reprinted his book, which is really cool. They've got a book called Manuals, which is the brand manuals from the big companies like NASA and IBM. And they put them all in. They're brilliant. Again, that goes back to design systems. It wasn't just designing a logo. It was designing the whole system, the trucks, the uniforms, the planes, everything. Uh, They did a great book on Paul Asher. They did Lance Wyman, uh, Lance Wyman Visual Diaries, which is as thick as my leg. Um, They've done three books, I think, on Herb Blue two on Lance Wyman, Paul Asher, the standards manuals, they just have incredibly well, well designed and well put together books. They're a little bit more expensive, but they're worth every penny and they did quite a long Kickstarter. So I'd keep an eye out for them because they are great to have on the bookshelf. Nice, nice. Well, Well worth it. Yeah. So
1: what is next for David?
0: So next for me is I'm just finishing this book. So that will be out in June. So I'm quite excited about what that will do for me in terms of what opportunities I get. Um, I'd like to do more speaking and teaching uh, in live and get more confidence to be on video because I don't do Instagram live. I don't do YouTube. I don't do Facebook live. I'm not one of these people who has to do the morning. Hi, everyone. This is what I'm up to today. I avoid that like the plague. So I think... The book's going to be a big deal for me, Um, improving my classes for teaching, still pushing, gaining some more confidence in putting myself out there a little bit more to to make that a good product and ensuring that my kids get the best opportunities I can give them um, as a father to encourage them to. Like my oldest daughter, she's ten. She plays soccer. Um, she's going to be a great little soccer player, um, and, I'm, and we're really pushing, like pushing her. We're encouraging her. We don't. We, we say to her, "If anything you don't want to do, don't do it. No one forces you. No one's better than you. You make your own decisions." My youngest is going to be a designer. So I think for me, nurturing that. We're, we're recording our 60th episode uh, tonight as well, and yeah, we've had some great feedback great views we we're actually sponsored by uh not sponsored by we're partnered with the photography show which is a big event in the uk uh in march so it's really that's a nice bonus for us um so yeah we're looking to improve the podcast make it make it something a bit more for photographers because podcasting is just taking off you know we've got so much do you know what it's like how many great design podcasts there are but we are, we are the Netflix of radio, you know, we're creating content that people can binge listen to go back and get old episodes. And, and I do, I quite often listen to old episodes of podcasts. So that's been really enjoyable because um, I don't have to be on camera. <laughs> I can just talk. We're meeting some great people. We're getting some great guests. We've got a few a few good guests lined up in the photography world that we're really pleased about. So again, that helps with confidence that's just pushing myself into a, into a domain. I'm not completely, um, not, not comfortable with, but I'm learning a lot from communication skills of how you approach people, how you talk to people, how you respect their time, respect what they do. Um, you know, and even when somebody asks me to be on a podcast, I'm very respectful of the time of day it is there when they have to do it. <laughs> so um, there's lots of things I'm still learning. Um, and I think for me, that's that's uh, as my my good friend Sebastian Bleak It says never stop learning. The day you, the day you stop learning, you might as well pack it in. You'll never you'll never know everything. So yeah, that that's pretty much my short term my short term plan. And I just want to say one thing. I said this to a couple of people. You know that question where you go for an interview and they say where do you see yourself in the next five years, and you have to sit sit think. Do I give the cheesy answer of sat in your seat, doing your job, hiring the next me, or I want to be managing director and I want a a yacht. And my answer to that is if I go back to five years ago (laughs) and think if somebody had asked me five years ago, where do you see yourself in five years time? I could not have ever predicted I would be sat here today teaching at one of the biggest photography events in the world, writing for their magazine, writing a book for a for a renowned publisher um, hosting a reasonably well listened to podcast with two kids that are excelling in things that they do I couldn't I couldn't have predicted that I couldn't have said that's what I'll be doing in five years So what I love about that question is, whilst you can be focused on a goal, leave the door open to opportunity all the time. Because sometimes if you get too focused on one thing, you take your eye off a better path. So so when you think of that question, where do you see yourself in five years time? Think back five years. Are you where you thought you would be five years ago? And then think of the great experiences you've had that you had couldn't have considered happening. And think about how they came about and who helped you get them. And think about that path you took there. That It's actually quite um, it's quite cathartic to to think of the people that helped you. the the Those key moments, you know, where you turned left or turned right kind of thing. All right.
1: It's true. So, I, yeah. It's true. It's true. I really, I think that makes a lot of sense to kind of, I'm always thinking about that though, like five years, like. Where will I be? How did I change? Um, but it's always the goal to be at a higher level or a higher you know, some way I've grown. I've grown. Yeah.
0: I've grown. There's always improvement. Right, There's right, always right. improvement and you can grow and you might shrink in one area right. because there'll be more natural growth in another. Right. And that can be that can be that could be guided by technology mm-hmm. or relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, a random opportunity I've, you know, I've had when I think back to the experiences I've had that I think, you know, one came from a book that I bought and then I got to know the author and the author introduced me to somebody and, you know, I followed a path that I never thought would have happened. And, and it was quite cool yesterday. Um, I spoke to my boss cause he was at a conference and he said, how did today go? And I said, let me just, let me just tell you this. My day ended with an email back from Charles Anderson of CSA Design who remembered meeting me at Adobe Max and I said I could never have imagined that I'd be sat in a job where Charles Anderson emails me nice. um, about about Adobe Illustrator it was, a, it was just something I was trying to do with the, with the studio and I met him at Adobe Max and he was the kindest man he signed my book we chatted he introduced me to his son Sam and you know i said how cool is that it's just that is my day is can... cool. that is cool indeed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know opportunities everywhere it's just true. keep being inspired and keep learning yeah definitely so where can people go to find you
1: learn about you all that you're doing uh
0: you can find my day job is astute and that's where you'll find out all about our plugins and what we're up to and we've got a, a blog where we do tutorials and if if there's any illustrators out there who use adobe illustrator that either use the studio graphics or don't and want to find out more about it we like to feature artists on the blog um, and show off their artwork and and encourage them to be part of that community uh social media my handle on everything is it's dave clayton so it's its dave clayton because i dave clayton was gone so it's at It's Dave Clayton or on Facebook, It's Dave Clayton. And then for the podcast, we're just uh, He Shoots at He Shoots, He Draws or He Shoots, He Draws dot com. And if you really want to learn some extra stuff, go on uh, Kelby One dot com. Get yourself a little nine dollars, ninety nine a month um, training membership. And you can get the magazine that I write for each month with, with phot- Photoshop for designer tips And you can watch the classes that I've done on there, which are Photoshop for designers, InDesign for designers. Um, Yeah. And they're they're my kind of go-to places if anyone wants to know more. And I'm always open if anyone wants to email me or contact me through social media. I'll always take the time to answer a question or... You know, if people want to know where I got something or found something. I'll, I'm always happy to help.
1: Well, Dave, this has been great. It's been great having you on, man. You have just just so much to share, so Thank much you. to to pass on. Um, really, really glad I we finally got to. I know, <laughs> finally got
0: to do this. <laughs> it's like everyone. I listen to I listen to the episodes. I kind of get to know you without you know. We met that one time. We've had some right. some emails go back and forth, and and obviously I'm listening to the show and the guests that you have on. I've been lucky enough to be on a couple of podcasts now as a guest, which I find really odd. I am quite humbled by the fact that I'm, you know, interested enough to be a guest, and I appreciate it. And, you know, thanks for what you do with the podcast, because, you know, people should subscribe to that. It's um a it's great community. and. I'm, I'm really pleased to play my part in it somehow. <laughs>
1: well, I'm going to let you go, but um, thanks again for coming on the show, man. No, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope it's been super valuable to you and you're now ready to take your audience building, your community growing to the next level to help you and help me build our empire, for lack of a better word, or just to build our thing Um, remember to stop by iTunes passion behind the art and leave a review and subscribe it's very important to me it helps the podcast grow and it makes me feel good to kind of hear from you guys to know what you like about this podcast what it's done for you so jump on iTunes and subscribe and leave a review passion behind the art be blessed